Welcome to the A Show. It's the Elise Still Round Show for July 4th, 2021. How's it going, everybody? Elise, you remember Elise from Elise uh, from uh, France back in 2003, 2004? You know the girl who had that Lolita vibe, shaking her ass around it, blah blah blah, all that stuff. I don't know. She started showing up on my YouTube recommendation recently, and then it just like gets me into the nostalgic mood of like, boy, the early 2000s. I don't know how the YouTube algorithm is picking this shit up. Is it because I've been watching the 2005 Time Traveler on TikTok, which has been a hilarious experience watching. It was like the baggy jeans, the hip hop, the walk it out and all that dance and then all that stuff. And then uh, it's just, I don't know, Lizzie, she's still around. And then, um, yeah, and then I guess the whole world thought she's the most beautiful girl uh, in the world. And I see a lot of <laughs> simpy comments. I see some Korean words in there and I just go, is this a thing? Is this a thing? I have no idea. But and then I started going into this warm the the the, the wormhole. I'm like, so what happened to Lizzie ever since? I haven't looked her up since like 2007. You know, even in my like whatever single men days coming up. Like she never really came through my mind. I would see those occasional gifts show up. You know, but I just go like, I, it just never crossed my mind. And then I look her up, and then I just go, she got inked. And I go like, it's, oh, God. I think she got the Sailor Moon ink on her arm, and then I'm not the only one, but other people are like, oh, my God, she ruined herself. I just go, I mean, it, to everybody's own, each of their own, you know, it's their choice, but whatever, man, whatever. Uh, anyways, I actually uh, put this uh, thing piece uh, <laughs> last week. I pre-recorded it, and I'm re-recording this because uh, I thought I was going to be over in Canada for uh, about 10 days. Yes, yes, folks, uh, for the microchip citizens of Canada, you're exempt from the vac- uh, the mandatory two-week quarantine if, and uh, only if, if you provide uh, the following. Uh, one, uh, COVID test with a negative results within the 72 hours of the arrival. Vaccination record and all this information uh, has to go through the Arrive Canada app that's either on your iOS or Android. Uh, You cannot just enter a country without filling out this application. Or even on the website, they have it, and then you can upload the record. Um, The test record, I just show it to the border officer. And then upon arrival, you have to take another COVID test, and then you have to get a negative result. So uh, as soon as I gave my test result that I got Tuesday morning, like at 6, and I already put in my entry info. I was like, all right, I'm going to cross the exact port of entry with the Windsor Tunnel um, 3 o'clock in the afternoon or something. And then um, I showed up, and then uh, they gave me a kit, and then I, they asked me if I wanted to do it on the spot or I take it home, and then somebody will come pick it up. Uh, the only downside of somebody coming picking up is that it, it will just add another two, three days into the, whatchamacallit, the results so that, uh, you know, which would show that, hey, uh, do I have to quarantine or not uh, for good, you know, in case you get a positive test. And it's like, oh, shit, you enter the country with a positive test, um, despite the negative test, and you're fully vaccinated. But, you know, fortunately, I think I came in Tuesday. I got the results Thursday morning. Uh, so about a day and a half. Obviously, you need 12 to 20, 20 hours of the sample running for the PCR test, the nose swap, not the rapid test. So um, I got that, and then... Uh, and then I was trying to decide when to come back. And then, because, uh, uh, you know, last week was a shutdown. 
for the automotive companies. And then uh, we have to go back to office at some point. <laughs> so I think that's going to happen next week. So I said, ah, screw it, I'll come back. And then I came back Saturday, but then uh, Arrive Canada app, as great as it was, as easy as it was to use, uh, the thing thinks that I'm still in <laughs> Canada. And then asking me to do a daily check-in, that's another thing. That the application gives you daily notifications saying, hey, uh, you need to check in for your symptoms and everything. You need to do a day eight test. It still thinks for some reason, despite the receipt and getting the exempt status, uh, oh yeah, that's, that's another thing. If I do the test right on the spot and then give the sample, they said I'm exempt given that I have proven that I didn't have a you know, positive test within 72 hours of arrival and I'm also fully vaccinated. Um, no, uh, Sinovac or the China, China vaccine is not one of the approved vaccines. So you have to fully quarantine, but um, you know, whatever. So, and then it was the uh, first time I traveled back in 18 months. Uh, last time I was in Canada was January 2020. Again, I, I was allowed to go back, but it was just a whole two-week quarantine thing that I was not sure wherever I was going to stay was going to work out. So that was that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it's, it was very interesting going back. The road's empty. Um, I was the only non-Ontario plated car until I got near Hamilton past Burlington and I saw like this car just blowing past by me because I was kind of, I was cruising. I was not going any fast, like maybe 120 kilometers or 70 miles and 75 miles an hour. You know, I wasn't overdoing it. I wasn't in a hurry. And then this car that blew past me by was a Georgia plate car. <laughs> Another car passed by and then it's from California. And then I saw another car when I got near uh, uh, Mississauga. I saw the Florida car cruising on the rightest lane. And then um, I was also testing out the theory about like how the first lane, second lane, third lane, you know, you shouldn't be cruising. The cruising lane is the rightest. And then the second lane, if you have a th three-lane road, is, you know, you pass for the first lane. So it's a passing lane for the, the rightest lane, and the middle lane, and then the, the leftest lane is a pass everybody. So and then if you want to cruise, you go to the rightest, and then, you know, that was quite interesting. And then given the lack of traffic, although when it got to Toronto, I was like, what the fuck is the difference? Uh, it worked out, so I wish more people drive like I do. <laughs> but again, humans, right? So uh, just a quick recap of the trip, you know, after getting the exam status and everything, and then the app still nagging me to this day, I had to call and manually contact uh, the Health Canada so that, hey, uh, I left uh, Canada. <laughs> I only stayed four nights, and then the America coming into America wasn't so bad. And I'm just like, mm, they don't care. There's no test requirement and stuff. God bless America, free market. You know, capitalism at its best, the freedom at its best. Um, but you know, I, if there's still, I think by the time you hear this, maybe uh, if it's Friday the 16th, you know, I think the stage three is going into full effect in Ontario, so the things are opening up. I think indoor dining with like half the capacity at least is like happening. But I, I was out watching the Stanley Cup final, the game five and stuff, and outdoor dining, you know, sitting outside and then the mask everywhere. Cause I, you know, right now I'm running into a conundrum of masking indoors, you know, but, you know, I think we're gonna indoor mask for a while, even though I'm fully microchipped because you know, Lambda variants are around and the Delta you can still carry. So, you know, it's still a pandemic. It's not endemic yet. So until the pandemic declaration is over, I ain't taking it off. But it, it became a weird social experiment for me because I just said, this is like going back six months ago. 
<laughs> I felt like I was time traveling in Canada, and then I was just amazed. And then uh, the, the vaccination levels coming up. Albeit, it's weird that they're mixing the mRNA, uh, the Pfizer and Moderna combinations. I understand why Ontario is doing that because I think Pfizer is only approved for the kids to 12 to 16. So they want to save all the shots for Pfizer for the kids. So the adults who got Pfizer and now about to get the second shot of the Pfizer that they're supposed to get are mixing cocktail through Moderna. And then it's just a similar technology, so it should be fine. I don't know how it's going to go. Obviously, it bumps the numbers of the so-called fully vaccinated. But let's see, because uh, this is a weird social e- medical experiment in a way. But, you know, it had to be done at some point. Um, so I'm like, whatever. I'm just glad that my folks got the two consistent shots of Moderna and I got two consistent shots. I didn't mix it up. So, you know, there might be a booster at some point. I know Pfizer's pushing this shit because Pfizer has no other drugs that are going for them. Disclaimer, an investor. Uh... <laughs> But then I just go like, what's the point of getting the booster out there right now? Like, it, it's already proven that it's good against the Delta variants, you know, preventing from further harm. But then I just go like, if you want to completely squash this thing, don't you want to tinker with the formula? Tinker with the formula, especially the Lambda or Epsilon or whatever other variants that we'll inevitably get. Because we got these all these morons that are Petri dishes running around, so going freedom, you know, especially in the Southeast or something. And then Delta variants is going to be Epsilon or something. This will go on and on and on. And then other continents like Africa and all that stuff. And I just go like, this is not over. This is not over. So, you know, I the booster shot, great idea. Do we need it right now? I don't think so. But Pfizer is desperate for money. So why am I not surprised? So that is that. Uh, a little bit of extension of what we talked about uh, last week of the thing piece about the Rachel Nichols and uh, Maria Taylor situation. And then I kind of pivoted into the... Fox Sports, also the scenario that I just remembered. Uh, Stephen A. Smith, you know, as much as some of you are out there chastising Rachel Nichols, which I don't understand, just Stephen A. Smith, the last three days or so this week, you know, if you haven't heard uh, two comments that he made that are controversial, I guess, uh, is a Shohei Otani, how is baseball's best player is the one that talks to a translator, can't speak English, basically. Uh, number one, and then number two, he was egging on Nigeria. Well, how do you? Because uh, you know, USA basketball, the Olympic team is struggling, losing the two exhibition matches, and then just like make fun of Nigeria, uh, and then uh, it obviously trip a couple people. Number one, Asian people, uh, because of the sheer ignorance of Stephen A. Just saying, because you can't speak English, can't be number one, and then you get all these dunking comments like, "Well, all those home runs that Shohei is fucking hitting doesn't need no translation." And I also want to add that, well, number one, it's not just the Japanese players who got the translators that always, that's been the thing the last two and a half decades. It's also people in Latin American communities, like Vladimir Guerrero, senior, not the junior. You know, he never spoke English. There are a bunch of Latin players who don't speak English either, and they just speak through the translator because they're comfortable with it. Second of all, you know, forget the translator and all. Mike Trout doesn't speak English either, to be fucking honest. He doesn't speak to the fucking press. He's making $500 million almost. Uh, yet, he's not the most promoted guy out there. So, the face of the baseball right now is Shohei Otani, Tatis Jr., you know, and then a Vladdy Jr. or something. And all these pitchers with their little sticky stuff, including Trevor Bauer, who I'm sure used the sticky stuff to choke that girl, you know? 
What a casual encounter that was, but I'm not going to go into that. But back to Stephen A. So there's that. Number two, he just like completely trashed Nigeria as if they're nothing. Then like, but completely, as a, as a basketball expert, so-called expert, you know, this guy has been in the NBA draft for ESPN since 2006, 2005, 2006. You remember those cheese doodle videos? I can't believe they got removed on YouTube. And then now Stephen A has come along this way and they're making $8 million a year. That Maria Taylor said, I should deserve that money too. And while he's running his mouth, that Rachel Nichols, some people perceive that she's running her mouth too. Where'd you come from, bitch? But Stephen A, would ask, who's a so-called basketball expert, could not drop a single player name on Nigeria. There are quite a few NBA caliber players that are international. And then Nigerian players also responded saying, remember the motherland, uh, you know, that stuff. Why am I doing a Trump accent? I don't fucking know. But it just shows you, I just go, I don't feel sorry for Stephen A. Stephen A makes all that money. ESPN enabled this man. And then obviously it gets the ratings. It gets the barbershop discussion going. And yet people are angry at either Rachel or Maria in some cases. And like I said last week, get over yourselves. Blame ESPN for their systematic problem. Whether it's women, minorities, whatever. So that's that. Uh, so there's the ESPN content I wanted to cover. But again, ESPN should hire me, goddammit. Like, I could do Stephen A's job in like 10% of his fucking earnings. And then I would get just as much ratings, for God fucking sakes, you know? And yeah, like Nigeria dropped 23 pointers out of 42 attempts. And then three of the USA basketball players in the NBA Finals right now. And I'm like, I go, yeah. But I just go, Am I going to drop that airheaded comment that he dropped down there? You know, like what he said about Otani, what he said about the, the, the Nigerian basketball, like it's fucking Angola from 1992 Barcelona Olympics. Fuck sakes, man. Like, I'm better than him, and you know it. So, you know, ESPN should hire me. I feel the minority quota, and then I have the content. I can talk shit like he does. I can counterpoint. I can counterpunch. I can back up with the stats and everything. Goddamn, I'm, be- I'm a better listener than Stephen A. Or even Max Kellerman, you know? He's such a tryhard, Kellerman, you know? Because Stephen A. was really good with uh, Skip Bayless. And then I just go, all right, they put Max Kellerman there, former Around the Horn host. But I just go like, I can't believe Kellerman stooped so low. It is just unfortunate. But you know what? That's the point of the entire first, co- first take, formerly the cold pizza. I remember this shit. You know, I could do that job. How many non-white or black people got on this show? You know, come on. I can do this shit. Anyways, uh, main thing I wanted to talk about that I recorded, but then I said, fuck it, I'm going to re-record it today, this week, is the uh, all these documentaries I've been watching with the hot conspiracy theories. So, uh, first one that I finally finished after kind of putting it off for a while is the Q into the storm that's on HBO Max about the QAnon and all that stuff. Uh, I agree with the majority of the sentiment on the reviews out there, whether it's Metacritics or Rotten Tomatoes. It really faltered in the second half. I was really excited on the first three episodes, you know, kind of going into the history of like Anonymous, 4chan, something awful. Uh, E-bomb, I didn't say E-bomb's world. I'm a little surprised. But, you know, just going back, speaking of Leezy, going back to the mid 
early mid two thousands internet, you know, fucking troll. It was for the laws. I talked about this extensively too. Who the hell is on this thing? And then going into Gamergate, weaponizing the Gamergate as an experiment, going into QAnon and then the populist movement. I uh, I think it lacked the depth. And then completely just focusing on people who are involved in A-Chan or A-Kun, the Watkins guys, Jim or Ron Watkins, and you know, and then the Fred, the dude the, who founded the A-Chan. I just go like, I, I don't know if they're really sympathetic characters in any of this. And I don't know what the conclusion of the documentary was leading to. And then it led up to the whole insurrection of the January 6th, but I feel like it kind of faltered really hard and it fell flat. And I'm sure it was more an exploratory personal piece with the parties involved, whether it's the Watkinses or the Fred, and then the anonymous as a concept in general. I I felt I felt that there's is there some left to be desired, you know, in discussing what this website, especially from the founder point of view, could have led to. Um, and I wish there were more discussion there and i feel like they missed the golden opportunity trying to link you know for the laws and then the serious conspiracy theorists like ron watkins you know to how the misinformation really spread because the conclusion i was trying to get to is like who is the q i guess that's the narrative of it but i just go like the whole q thing is still going and then uh, many of these q followers don't even go on fucking 8chan the ridiculous amount of you know the hypocrisy when it comes to child predator and all that stuff, pedophilia, and then like what's right in front of these QAnon supporters and Republicans with Matt Gates, for example, or any other atrocities that you see in within their party writing versus what they're trying to chase. It's just it's just unbelievable. I wish there was a little more academical connection there because there are some things like that Cambridge Analytica and all that missing. This was completely focused on 8chan and then the laws and the trolls, but I just go like, I don't think... This exactly, especially in the second half, dug into what led to the so-called storm, you know, storming the Capitol and all that. So that that left a lot to be desired. So this is not really a documentary. I just go, eh, I recommend. The other one I saw was on Peacock about the Jelaine Maxwell, you know, uh, the, the Jeffrey Epstein thing. I was a little surprised that this, documentary came out i think it was a co-production with uh, nbc universal through peacock and the sky network over in uk uh only maxwell obviously from a family of the other maxwells the who owned the daily mail and all that stuff um i felt really uncomfortable and story to be really incomplete this three-parter it wasn't a six-parter like the QAnon one on hbo max given that she still has her trial left and I wish this waited a little bit. I understand you got to pump out content and then the, we're in a bit of a documentary craze, especially with the fraudsters and criminals. I mean, I talked about that, you know, when it comes to the Freudian slip episode from 2019, January, was it? You know, with the Theranos and Firefest they were talking about. It started the whole anthology of all this, these criminals and the fakes and the disgusting people. But I... <sighs> I really thought the depth was lacking. At least the Theranos one was uh, through that. What's that guy? Alex Mackey? I forgot the guy's name. He did the Scientology one too. 
you know, which has a certain style. And then the Alex Gibney, I think that was the name, um, through the HBO documentaries. It took some research and did all that stuff. And then the uh, Firefest one was also a little early. And then the, there were a couple, right? The Hulu one and then the Netflix one. And Hulu one got the Billy McFarlane, the guy who started the whole fire with Ja Rule. Uh, got it, sat him down and did it. They paid him. So the journalistic integrity just goes down the drain at that point. But I just go like, I, the story didn't end. Like what happened, you know, Billy McFarland, it didn't end. I mean, he served the jail time, but it, you know, he's serving his prison time. And then I think he got out during COVID or he got denied. I don't remember. But some of these stories are not complete. Even Theranos, you know, that trial's still ongoing. Jelaine Maxwell is going to be on the trial that's going to be like be paid attention by everybody, especially Jeffrey Epstein, you know, allegedly, supposedly died from a suicide. And without any, you know, justice really conclusion happening through the system, I just felt that it was it was very it was very cheap. It was just tacky trying to take advantage of this uh documentary craze so i'm sure they're gonna milk it and say there'll be a season two for this you know epstein supporters or whatever the series this thing is but i just i just thought it was a little too soon you know sometimes how you have these like these tragedies and they make movies like the 9-11 movie that came out you know that paul berg uh, peter berg directed with mark Wahlberg and all that stuff michael pena was in it i thought that was a little too soon oh wait it's not it's not mark Wahlberg. it was nicholas cage 9/11, the 2007 movie that come out, and then the the seal seal team six or one of those uh fucking uh, New Orleans like the Deepwater Horizon movies. I just go like, why is this movie coming out now? It hasn't even been five years or a decade. You know, it's too soon. It feels like very ex- exploitative. You know, so these documentaries that are out there just trying to be eye-catchy for the content, especially for the new streaming services, I'm kind of going like, thumbs down, thumbs down, cue into the storm. I don't recommend it. It's an incomplete story. Thumbs down. Also on the Jelaine Maxwell one. I mean, usually the first episode of the things that already established, like how 8chan, you know, based on the history of 4chan and something awful, I mean, that's an interesting piece. You know, but even the 4chan one, why didn't they talk to Moot? You know, the 4chan started this whole thing. Jelaine Maxwell, like, okay, like, Jelaine lived in UK, her dad died and then came over and then she has a daddy issue. I guess that's the conclusion of the movie, but I'm like, how the fuck do we know? Like, the trial hasn't even started, you know? So I'm just like, it's very exploitative. I watched it and then I just go, wow. I enjoy the first third, maybe a half. And then the the latter, the second half just falters. Kind of like England. <laughs> it's coming home. It's coming home. Dude, I, I I really couldn't take that fucking thing. And then I know English, English people, Italians, you know, both teams, young and up and coming teams. But I just go, as soon as the penalty kicks were missed by all those guys, I knew the racism was on the horizon. And just like clockwork. You know, Boris Johnson and all these people come out, start defending and shit, but I just go, fuck England. Fuck, fuck the rest of that soccer thing. They choked it again. And then uh, I'm glad, in one way, I'm glad they didn't win. As heartbreaking as it is for those kids, the 19-year-old missing at soccer, I just go like, dude, 
I then want to hear this shit the next like 14 months if England won this thing saying it's coming him, it's coming him one more time. You know, all that shit when it goes to Qatar World Cup next year. I just go, shut the fuck up. I just go like, your team ain't that good. You ass backed into it for France choking it one more time after establishing something because France has this weird tendency of you really, really like coasting and fucking it up after they win the World Cup. Look at 98, 2000 euro, and then this past World Cup that they won that feels like yesterday, but it's already been three years. So it's next year is going to be four years, right? And then Team Italy, yeah, they didn't even make the World Cup last time, but it's like a grinding team. It reminds you of, it wasn't Greece 2004 bad, but, you know, I just go, it ain't the fun one. But, you know, who cares? Who cares? I love when the guy that scored, I forgot which one that scored, said, uh, it's coming, Rome! It's coming, Rome! I just go, exactly, exactly. And then I think the rest of the Europe is happy. That's what you fucking get for Brexit. Not using the same currency, not, you know, abiding by the EU rules. Fuck you, you deserved it. England, you deserved it. You deserve this loss. You deserve this heartbreak. I don't feel sorry for them whatsoever. I only feel awful and sorry for the players, the young ones that missed all those penalty kicks and then have to endure the typical, awfully predictable racism that was on the horizon. Why am I not surprised? Fuck them. Fuck their ugly teeth. Fuck their inbred royal family. Fuck their soccer struggles. I don't give a shit. I wish the, you know... Go for the Scottish independence. I don't care. Northern Ireland is freaking out too. I mean, rest of the Great Britain, United Kingdom, don't give a shit. So I was like, good for Italy. Congratulations. One time I'm going to congratulate Italy. It's coming home. I couldn't fucking take this fucking hashtag. So, you know, let's get rid of the racism. I wish they got humbled. But, you know, so uh, let's see what happens. Good for England for making it this far. They ass backed into it. And then uh, now they're going to shut up about it's coming home for Qatar because they know. This is not going to happen like this this easy, right? So anyways, oh, and then congratulations to Lionel Messi. And then all this Euro has been going on. You forget about Copa America. Messi finally won a trophy. Where is he going to end up next year? Well, we'll talk about that on the next episode of the AA Show. And then uh, thanks for listening. And then uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.